Hello, this is Pastor Ryan Brown, and you are listening to the Aroma of Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Fostoria Baptist Church. Let's get started. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be Isaiah 7, 10 through 15. And Isaiah 7 is a passage in which the Davidic king Ahaz is concerned about an alliance that is threatening Judah. And the Lord says that that alliance will ultimately fail. And in order to encourage faith, the Lord tells Ahaz to ask for a sign. And the sign is said to be either high above or down below, indicating a certain miraculous nature to that sign. But as we find out, the sign is the same time as what will happen after the thing has already been fulfilled. So that's not a present persuader, but a future confirmation of what is to come about. And that sign is the virginal conception. So let's read along in Isaiah 7, 10 through 15. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Well, good morning. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. Last week we began a study in the book of Matthew with the genealogy of verses 1 through 17 and saw how in showing that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he is also the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish chosen anointed one for all peoples, with four Gentiles being listed by name, and for all types of people, as many adulterers and even a murderer are included in the list of the genealogy. And we continue in Matthew hearing about the beginning of Jesus and his ministry, and particularly here, the birth of Jesus. And we start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Father, please help us today as we look at these words in Matthew 1, 18-25. Help us to understand what is happening and how it is good news for us today. Let everything said today reflect your glory and make the message of salvation plain. And let our response to it be soft, appropriate, and helpful. And so, Lord, I thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the greatest miracle in all the world? 
If we read the Bible, we see several things that seem to create candidates to be that greatest miracle. Certainly changing wine into sorry, changing water into wine is a big deal. Or changing the water of the Nile into blood. Crossing the Red Sea where the Lord parted it such that the Israelites could go on dry land. Elijah calling down fire from heaven on an altar he doused with water such that it did catch on fire and consume the burnt offering thereon. The opening of the eyes of the blind, someone who's never walked in his whole life, then suddenly walking and leaping and praising God, and even the resurrection of the dead. And indeed in Isaiah 7.14, and the fulfillment of that in our passage today, you have the candidate of a virginal conception. That doesn't happen. It's happened once. Yet none of those things actually can be the greatest miracle. Indeed, Isaiah calls the virginal conception a sign, and you'd expect it to be a sign of something greater, bigger. So as we look at Matthew 1, 18-25 today, we'll see how the virginal conception hints at a greater miracle one that we still have a chance to partake of today. We'll see that Jesus' virginal conception demonstrates that he is with us as Yahweh, the Savior. The narrative follows Joseph and his response to knowing that Mary is pregnant, and so we will as well. And the first point, the first part of that is Joseph's doubt about the birth and doubt about the sign in verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her abray privately. So we begin again with a a very similar discussion of what we saw in verse 1, the book of the Genesis, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Now we have another thing, another Genesis of Jesus Christ, but this time being his birth. And then that heading for the birth narrative tells us that it happens in this manner when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. We think of the idea of betrothal or engagement. And it's not a fair and complete uh, parallel because this betrothal requires a divorce to end it. But it does have the parallel from an engagement perspective that there's an expectation that they aren't married, they haven't consummated the marriage. And that Matthew makes clear in the next words, before they came together. She was found with child. And if you pause there and you don't read the rest of the verse, you suddenly have a scandal on your hands. Joseph and Mary are engaged. Joseph and Mary have not come together. They have not been intimate. 
and yet Mary is with child. But Joseph doesn't let you stay there for long, because then he does add the next three words, four words, of the Holy Ghost. It's not some other man that's not Joseph. It's the Holy Spirit. There's something supernatural coming on where here we then have our first reference to a virginal conception. That what is conceived of her is genuine and noble. But Joseph doesn't have that information. So for him, it is simply a scandal. And so we read, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example. These are the reasons for the action that happens at the end of the verse. But they are significant for how we are to view Joseph. Matthew, the author, commends them. Says that he is noble, he is just, he is righteous, and he has a desire not to shame Mary. Not to make her a public example of the dishonor he assumes she has actually committed. So he has a natural thinking, yet a noble thinking. And in that natural but noble thinking, he is, at the end of the verse, minded to put her away privately. His decision is already made. He's going to divorce her, but he's going to do it in a way that is private, in a way that doesn't bring her out as an article of shame. She's, he's not trying to put a scarlet A on her, march her through town, letting everyone see the indiscretion she's done. He's instead wanting to keep it quiet, protect her, her reputation, but not marry someone he assumes is an adulteress. But Joseph's noble and natural thinking is not the end of the story. He may have these doubts about the birth and doubts about the sign, but we get an interpretation of the sign in verses 20 to 23. And actually, we get two interpretations of the sign. One from an angel and another from the narrator. We read this. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son." And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. 
verse 20, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, perhaps an overlooked miracle in the text is that in this, uh, in a dream, the angel of the Lord appeals to him, appears to him and makes this message, gives him some divine word to interpret the sign he is beholding. And the angel then says, Joseph, thou son of David, reminding us of the significance of this birth. This is the son of David who is to reign forever. This is the one that Israel has been hoping for. Indeed, this is the hope of the whole world. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. These are difficult words for Joseph to hear. Having already made up his mind to divorce her, to then be told to do the exact opposite is going to require some persuasion. But the only persuasion we see the angel give is to understand what's going on. With Matthew then giving a second reference to the virginal conception by then saying, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. This conception is not natural. It's not because of adultery, regardless of what it seems. And then, continuing on, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus is the same name as what we would see as Joshua or Josiah. And it means Yahweh, or the Lord, saves. And so an explanation as to why he should be called Jesus, you would anticipate it to be something about how he'll be the instrument Yahweh uses to save. And although that's similar to what we see, it's not what we see. Because it's not that he is becoming an instrument of Yahweh's salvation but that he himself is saving. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You will call him Yahweh saves, for he will save. Even in that one moment, you find that this is not a mere human. It is a full human, more full in any sense than any of us are, because he's not stained by sin. But he is indeed Yahweh, the Lord, God Almighty in the flesh, taking on a full human nature and saving his people from their sins. His people, we know, is primarily Israel, but given the reality of Matthew 1, 1-17, and the wise men from the East in Matthew 2, 1-12, it is clear it spills over. It spills over into all people and all nations who will be blessed in the seed of Abraham. And while Israel, in slavery, may be wanting freedom from that slavery, 
may be desiring a freedom from Rome. It instead says that he shall save his people from their sins. Because regardless of what Israel wants, their greatest need is salvation from their sins. The sins that cause alienation from God, cutting them off from his blessing presence, and ultimately putting them in a place of punishment. And indeed, it's our greatest need as well. Regardless of what we feel we need or what we want at any particular time, our greatest need is to be saved from sin. And the virginal conception shows a sign that we can be. That is truly the greatest miracle. In addition, we have a second interpretation of this conception. In verses 22 to 23, the narrator speaks himself. Now, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Everything that's done here is done so that the scriptures, so that the law, prophets, and writings, what we now call the Old Testament, would be fulfilled would come to fruition and come out. In fact, that which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, God's word through Isaiah, very high view of scripture in that, but then the scripture quote itself, giving a third reference to the virginal conception, begins to clarify what is present. Behold, A virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. The term virgin is new to the text, but the idea is not. And other than that, to this point, we've seen the idea of someone being with child and bringing forth a son. It's a combination of the words of verses 18 and verse 21. Matthew's intentionally mirrored what he's already told us to match what Isaiah predicted, showing the, 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 the fact that the events coincided and interpreting it for us. But then we have a shift. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. But the name that's already been given in verse 21 is Jesus, not Emmanuel, not this God with us. And it raises the question of why not mirror now? With so much other intentional using of the same language of Isaiah 7.14, why is there different language for the name? Emmanuel is interpreted as God with us. It's the translation of the Hebrew, and it's a translation that doesn't just mean that God is present with us, but rather that God is on our side. If we turn to Isaiah 8, 
within the same context as the prophecy we've already read this morning, we see a little bit more of that alliance language and what it ultimately means. And speaking to those people who are trying to go against God's people, Judah, and the Davidic line. Isaiah 8, verse 9 says, Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. And give ear, all ye of far countries, gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us, for Emmanuel. God promises to be with Judah such that this alliance of nations will not stand, because he is not just present with them, but on their side, bringing it to nothing, letting all their counsel come to naught. But as we've already hinted at, sin doesn't cause us to be on God's side. It does quite the opposite. Sin causes exile and alienation from God, not his presence. Something has to be done with our sin if Emmanuel is ever to be true. Or to go back to what Matthew is showing us with these different names and bring them in conjunction together, there can be no Emmanuel without Jesus. There can be no God with us without he will save us from our sins. And so he does. He comes. Comes as a baby. He lives sinlessly. And he dies. Gruesomely. Cruelly. With great torture feeling the wrath of God upon him for our sins. Raises again the third day to show that the work is done and to go to the right hand of the Father to intercede for all who trust in him, to be on our side and present with us. That is the hope of Christmas. That is the hope of the virginal conception, that the greatest miracle is possible if we turn from the sin that brings our punishment, that brings God's wrath, brings alienation from him and any blessing he can give, and turn to Jesus and his death on the cross, taking that weight for us and turning to entrust our lives and our future to him, asking for forgiveness. And if you need to do that today, I encourage you to talk to someone before you leave here. Talk to me as I stand outside my study door. We can go into the study, we can talk about it. Talk to anyone else who is here. They'd love to tell you about it as well.
Joseph now knows the meaning of the sign, and we now know the sign's significance. But he was resolved to do a certain action. Is he now prepared to go a different direction? And actually, he is. In our last section, it's an acting on the sign. Verses 24 to 25. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And Joseph is a just man indeed. The angel tells him, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, and he doesn't fear. He acts upon what he's been told, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. He believes the unbelievable that a virgin has conceived, and he acts upon that. He lets the divine word of the angel change his natural perception of the events into what actually did happen. And then in verse 25, with one final and fourth reference to the virginal conception, he continues to obey. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I think for Matthew, Joseph becomes the embodiment of the ideal reader, of what we are supposed to do as we read this text, to believe the unbelievable and act upon it. Act upon that faith to believe Jesus saving us from our sins. Regardless of what natural understanding pushes against letting God's word change us and how we think. Indeed, we talked about what that would look like. So no, it doesn't seem that the greatest miracle is the virginal conception or even the resurrection from the dead, though it is a, a hope we all have because of the greatest miracle, that Christ died to take away our sins our greatest need, and indeed something that's harder than a virginal conception, bearing the wrath of God. And so now it is time for all of us to take our hope and partake of this greatest miracle and rejoicing in it as we go. Father, we do thank you for your word and for this hope the virginal conception gives us reason to believe the far harder thing that you have saved us from our sin. I pray that you would help us as we go from here to believe that, for the Christian to rejoice in that regardless of what circumstances push down, and that the non-believer would come to have their sins forgiven. And so, Lord, we pray.
In the name of your Son, by whom all this is possible. Amen. Thank you for listening to Aroma for Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Fostoria Baptist Church. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? <laughs>